Thanks for listening to the CISO Diaries podcast. We're Leah. And I'm Sia. And we started this podcast with the intent to give CISOs and cybersecurity professionals a place to be their authentic selves. These are the unedited stories told of how they got into cybersecurity, their real struggles that they persevered through, their personal anecdotes that make them tick, and the leadership advice based on their own experiences. And we want to especially spotlight those that are contributing and giving back to the community apart from their day jobs. This podcast is for everyone, especially if you're a leader or someone aspiring to leadership. Who knows? You may find yourself working with these awesome leaders. So join us on your favorite podcast player. And please don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, and comment and engage in the conversation. And now let's get to know our CISO on our latest diary entry. Oh, yeah. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I'm here with my co-host on the CISO Diaries podcast. I'm Leah. And I'm Sia. And a quick shout out to our sponsor, Cyber Future Foundation. They're a nonprofit think tank of executives and doers who are focused on building a safer and more trusted world. And be sure to check out Talent Week, which will be hosted by them the week of April 18th. It's going to take place virtually and in person in Washington, D.C., so without further ado, our guest today is Mr. Christophe Poulon. Hello, Chris. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. Okay, so for those who don't know you, he is um, cybersecurity management leader at a Fortune 10 fintech company. He's a cybersecurity career coach, practitioner leader, co-host of the Breaking into Cybersecurity podcast. He's on the board of directors for nonprofit Whole Cyber Human Initiative. And recently published a book co-authored with Gary Hayslip, Develop Your Cybersecurity Career Path, How to Break into Cybersecurity at Any Level. Check that out on Amazon. So, Christophe, with all of those great accomplishments, take us back to the future and just tell us how you got into cybersecurity in the first place. I would say it all started when I was eight years old because I was in I was living in the Caribbean and the island PC Tech, she was working on one of the few computers on the island, and it was for our business. Seeing her tear apart the computer, I got interested. As I grew older, 10, 11, I spent my summers in the internet cafe, but rather than just browsing the web or social media, I was upgrading computers. I was removing malware. I was diagnosing the symptoms and really just helping out in the the, the PC shop, and that's where I got my love for it. There's a little gap in between where did high school and was ready to get into the workforce. But at the time, there was such a glut of cyber computer science degrees. And me personally, I'm not a fan of math or physics. There's people that love it. God bless them. But that's just not for me. So I continued down the business route. Businesses and my family, we've ran businesses and I've been an entrepreneur since I was a child, so kind of went down that route. I uh, was successful in a sales-like career for several years, and then 2008 hit. Recession hit, credit freezes, no one can borrow anything, and uh, I was thinking to myself, hmm, if I'm going to do something and struggle at it, might as well do something I love, because then I'm not really working, and quit my job. I didn't get fired or anything. I quit my job, 
decided to go for certifications. Back in 2008, I went to New Horizons. They had a, a program and kind of just worked my way up. Took my first role at Sony Style, their version of a geek squad. And while I was there, created optimizations where we were able to roll out twice as much volume for a store that was 10 times bigger and we were in a tiny location. And then the other thing we were able to do is we're, we were able to find bugs in new, new software because we were going through them so quickly. So we were able to identify bugs for the Sony team to fix from our retail store. So really just loved it. As I took my first role in help desk, that the first one of the first days, one of my users had a post-it note with a password on it. And I said to myself, there's got to be a better way. And that started my love for like trying to help the users secure the processes for using technology securely. And it was hard. Back then, there, there wasn't a lot of security roles. It was sysadmins. It was help desk individuals that were doing move ad changes. They were controlling all the permissions. They were the ones doing the security w- without the title. As the title became more prominent and I tried to transfer over, it, it was such a struggle. People were like, oh, you, you've only done IT. You've never done security. And it, it took a, it literally took seven years for me to get my first security role. And yeah, it took moving out of South Florida to the DC area as well. So, um, there were, there weren't many roles in South Florida at the time. And I felt like I'd capped out my market for where I wanted to live. So I, I moved as well. So something for individuals working in a specific location. Uh, that's an option. My family was younger then, so it was an option I exercised. I wish it were things like today where I could work remotely, um, like during COVID and stay in Florida, but here I am. So kind of the arcans behind why I created Breaking Into Cybersecurity was to share my story and to have others share their story so that Aliyah and Asiya and a Joe could see that there's someone like them that came from a sales background or a librarian or a sysadmin represented in security and give their story of how they came in. So that was the idea behind the podcast. I love it. Thank you. Seven years. Seven freaking <laughs> years, man. I know. I know. It's That's crazy. Why do you think someone of your background... I mean, seven years is a long time to kind of move that thing around. Do you think you could have accelerated had you moved sooner away from, and I don't want to knock Florida, but, you know, could it be that you were just in the wrong place for wanting or needing that type of talent? Potentially. I mean, in the, in the last three years of that period, I worked for a healthcare organization that did have a security department. At the time, I did have my master's in information security. I did have my CISSP. I was working to network internally to transition to that department, but they never had roles available. 
They had a small team for an organization, approximately 5,000 people. They had one director or one manager and two other individuals. So it was a really small team to try to get into. And I was leading a team that was high touch, that was supporting executives. So I think there's one, like I was real in a really visible role and moving from that to go to another role where they potentially didn't have the budget for it, it would make it harder for the organization to do that shift. So I think that could have hampered my career, but it was a learning experience and I learned a lot. And that's what I bring forward to the podcast, to the book, the lessons that I learned throughout my career. You know, you mentioned the relocation you had to do, right? From Florida to DC to get into a role. We think about it now, and clearly I know COVID definitely shifted how we work, you know, remotely, but every state has organizations that are using technology now, right? So it should just be a non-starter that security is needed in every state. And I mean, of all places too, but there's was an article that came out today, right? Cybersecurity jobs in high demand, thousands of open positions in St. Louis. So I mean, we're definitely seeing that I don't think it's limited to just certain pockets of the, say, U.S. or regionally anymore. But one thing I want to get your perspectives on, Chris, because I know just as a group, we've been talking about it quite a bit and, and we're starting to hear the conversation with cybersecurity seen not as a profession, but as a vocation. Can you share your perspectives on that? I'm an adjunct professor. I have a master's degree. And I still view cybersecurity as a vocation rather than a profession. And the reason that I say that it's a vocation is that it's really something that can be learned on the go. And there, there's less about it of theoretical knowledge that you need to learn, that you need to master over a long period of time that you have to refer back to. While medicine is changing, there's a lot about it that doesn't change. While it, like there's evolutions in electricity, like there's a lot of things that electricians have to learn on the job. You can't teach that. So I think cybersecurity is the same thing. There's many of these roles where someone with the right attitude, the right skills and competencies that they can learn everything that they need to do on the job Whereas if they were just in a classroom without that hands-on implementation, they wouldn't be able to complete the role. They'll know how the role's done, but they won't be able to complete the role. So that's more like for the managers versus those that actually are hands-on keyboard. Okay, guys, you guys are way too smart for my genre here. Normally I'm good with words, but what is the definition of vocation? Because now you really got me thinking because I've always kind of considered vocation profession somewhat similar. What am I missing here? Vocation, think like a cobbler, a blacksmith, carpenter. a carpenter, someone that builds houses. There, There's a lot that they have to learn on the go while they might learn how to design a building permit. And that's part of their role. The rest of it, they have to learn from someone else more experience or they have to learn themselves. And that's really the emphasis of cybersecurity, that tinkering, that figuring out how things work. I mean, most of the times, even applications that you get from vendors, the vendors don't know 
all the things about how it works. And it takes curious people to go, oh, here's a new use case, or here's a new way that we can use this. And oh, you forgot about this, this use case. And that's now a potential vulnerability in your application that we can use to maliciously do something. Thank you so yeah. much for that clarification. That app makes 100% sense, 100%. It's actually hopeful for folks that are either transitioning in or going into it for, you know, fresh out of college or whatnot, or not going to college for it. That makes absolute sense. And I think that's why, you know, Leah, you and I've seen, you know, with CISO Diaries, the path to leadership, the path to this career is vastly different. There's no set trail, if you will. Yeah. I mean, because all three of us now can say we came from the traditional IT backgrounds. And I mean, see, you were a recruiter and then, you know, Christoph on your journey. And even for me, I didn't have a struggle getting other jobs in IT and then enter cloud or, you know, security. I I said cloud security because for the past few years I was focused there, but it was, it's a challenge. It's a lot more challenging and talking about breaking into the field, right? Whether entry level or career transitioner or a veteran who is getting out of the military and wants to come into cybersecurity, that's difficult. And we know those challenges and you're doing a lot to help. There's many of us trying to help change that. But I almost would venture to say it's as difficult when someone is in a you know, very senior leadership role somewhere trying to make that transition to become a CISO. And I know I've heard a lot of CISOs who maybe are first year into being one or a few years under their belt saying they're even struggling to get onto boards and they want to see that change. So why is it so difficult then to go from that very senior position when you've done, you know, most all the work and had the years in cybersecurity to then get into a CISO position? Why is it because it's still you know, we're still new in security-ish, I say, or I don't know your thoughts. There's a couple of challenges there. I think there's the the transition away from technical and to that leadership requirement. And then depending on the size and maturity of the organization, you you need a different type of CISO. So in the beginning, you might need a more technical CISO that can help with the hands-on keyboard, that can help with configuring the infrastructure. As you grow, it then pivots away from that hands-on keyboard to getting up a GRC program, getting that running. And then as you shift from that, now you need a business leader that can help enable the business and less focus about the GRC and the technical implementation because there's now a team under them doing that and more focus on working with the other business leaders and helping them deliver on the business mission. And that, I think therein lies the challenge of the CISO title because it ranges from a practitioner to a business-oriented, much more executive-level boardroom skill set. Do we have a title problem then, guys? Is Does CISO generate the same level of respect as a CIO would, or is there still that assumption that, like you say, Christoph, depending on the maturity of that organization, the CISO title might be diluted? I think the problem lays in for your smaller companies, they really don't need a CISO. They need a director. The problem then comes on their client side that their clients don't want to talk to a director. They want to talk to a CISO. 
They want to talk to the person with the CE level in their title and in charge to comfort them that this company is doing everything that they can to secure their process, to secure their data. And I think it's in that balance that the role does get diluted. I've worked with uh, technical recruiters, headhunters for CISOs. And when they go into larger size companies um, that say they, w- they want their first CISO, most of the times they're as- they-, they might be asking for a manager level person because they have technical processes in place in DevOps and other aspects of the organization that are keeping them secure, but they just need a manager level person to do the GRC program or to get them through an audit or a director person to manage a couple different programs and kind of scale up the program, the overall security program from there. And I think that's in like where <clears throat> that's in where the challenge is is in that title. Um, the level of definition varies, but people still want them to be called a CISO. You know, I, I mean, there are many professions out there that are very complex and complicated. Uh, medical field, definitely one. But cybersecurity, to me, too, has got to be also up there with one of the most convoluted industries in terms of the pathways, right? Not even from just getting in, but all the way up through being a CISO. And I mean, it, it, I think it takes such um, drive to continue to persist despite the challenges. You know, clearly you have quite a bit of that, um, Christoph. Where does it come from? Uh, I know you mentioned you grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and business owners, which, you know, there's some um, grit, you know, behind that. But where's your motivation come from personally, professionally, all of the above? I think personally, it's really seeing the growth within the organization. I'm, I see myself more as a uh, connector between people and process with a solid understanding of the technology. So more of that business leader than that technical implementer. And I like to see, to work with groups of people to figure out what their problem is, help solve their problem, and use technology in the right way to help solve their problem, rather than trying to throw technology in too early or too quickly and end up with a big mess in the end. Yeah, no, you're making me really chew on this. Is like your background, though, I think there's something about that entrepreneurship background that you've been exposed to that makes you take the risks, but also know how to calculate them. Would you say that is a true statement with me and agree, or do you think it's something else? I I would agree with you. Um, Looking at my, my grandfather, who was one of my big role models, uh, he immigrated to the U S he had um, a carpet business, which when I look at it, I'm like, who, need, who, who needs to sell carpets, right? Um, but he was very successful to provide for his family, and he was able to travel the world, see the world, and in through that travel that I was also able to experience throughout my childhood, I saw that you can look at the same problem from many different perspectives. So I like the challenge. I like to figure out how it can be done, and to look at it from different angles. 
Okay, let's talk a little bit about your book, because I know it was uh, released. I feel like it was just recently last year. Um, and I did purchase it and got a little bit through it. I have a lot of books I got to get through. But what was your why behind it? My why behind it was I've been doing the podcast at the time for two and a half years. And I look at it like, okay, so I'm sending someone to the podcast, but now I have so much content in two and a half years. Like, where do I send them? And I'm like, there's got to be a way to break it down. And I thought about it and I figured out a framework of how to break down the process from, hey, I'm interested in cybersecurity all the way through getting your first role and being there and how do you remain successful after that role. So the whole way through the process. And I wanted a diverse set of views in there. So I invited Renee, who was a recruiter, and Gary Hayslip, who was a, also a seasoned CISO and practitioner, to share his experiences and her experiences um, in the book as well. That's awesome. And then I, I do have to ask, because on your the cybersecurity career coaching, will you coach just about any levels or are you focused on certain levels within their careers? I like to focus on individuals that are uh, high-performing individual performers going to a manager or a manager going to a director or a director going to a VP. And the reason for that is most of the times they've gotten to a point in their, their career where they feel stalled and they don't know how to approach it. And it could be mental blockers. It could be... Um, that they are lacking just a couple skills here or there as to how to approach the next level of their career. And I like, like to work through it with them. As a coach, I don't tell them what to do. I sit down and figure out what their problem is and then work through how they will solve it with them. So really, they're the ones figuring out the best solution for them. I help them with that process and then I hold them accountable to that. Um, so it's really for that individual that has potentially mastered all the technical skills and they need to learn some of the soft skills or they have all the leadership experience, but they're figuring out what technical areas that they need to learn to get to the next level. Oh, so it's like a, it's both sides of it then. Okay. So um, going to the soft skills component of it, and as we all know, and we chuckle about it, or at least I do, um, we cybersecurity folks tend to be certain personality types, I think very thoughtful, um, very inquisitive, tend to be a little bit more the stable personality types. Definitely not me. <laughs> but how important is uh, EQ? Uh, when you're coaching a lot of these individuals, they seem like they've got their stuff together, but they might be stoic. But are you seeing any challenges or potential for EQ to play into their you know, next steps? Absolutely. I think EQ, how to read the room, how to forecast what their leaders above them might need so that they can fill those needs ahead of time is something that's incredibly valuable. How to work with their clients or their customers who might be 
their peers, right? But they need to help them succeed in order for them to succeed is critical. So having that human aspect within cybersecurity, I, I would say is just as important as the technical aspect. I, was, I see Leah, you're like, you're about to say something and I was about to say something. So, okay, you go first. <laughs> okay. I have to, okay. I'm a sales. Okay. So I'm a former tech salesperson. So I'm, from my perspective on cybersecurity, I'm always a huge advocate of people saying, look, think about the sales engineer aspect, the securities, the sales, the guidance. I often feel like sales is like the bastard stepchild of cybersecurity that, you know, there's a lot of folks that are technical, but they've got, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, you know, the desire to be out on the front, if you will. Is that something that you see and recommend as well? Or is the people talking to you are still focused on, no, I need to be a pen test or I need to do GRC or I need to do, you know, the other areas of security that's more popular? Well, I would say the most of the young people trying to break in, they're always focused on the SOC analysts or the pen test because that's what's been promoted in our industry. That's what's very popular. I think with the whole cyberhuman initiative where or Leah, myself, and others take part of is we help the awareness to the other aspects of it. And um, Stefan Semaroth is a big proponent of sending individuals through the sales route, which I agree, because if you go to a vendor company and you have that passion for cybersecurity and you take it like, I'm going to understand the product through and through, and I'm really going to help the customer solve their problem, then you will maximize that position. But if you just go into it like, I have to sell and I'm going to sell no matter what, you're not going to maximize that position. So I think it's the mindset that you're going to go in, figure out how the product works, and then figure out how the customers will use it to the best potential. And that's how you'll maximize your experiences in sales. Right. You know, it's interesting. I've got a lot of friends who are on the, again, they were on the engineering, sales engineering side of things. They interacting with engineering all the time. And I've seen many crossover to product management. And, you know, product management marketing side of things because they kind of balance both sides of the house. And so let me ask you then this, Christoph and Leah, I need your guidance on this too, is how important is networking? And I'm not just saying talk to anyone that's in security, but networking in different areas with people that are in marketing, though, people that are in, you know, HR, et cetera. How important is networking to help them break into cybersecurity as, as a way of getting in? I would say 100%. Um, if I had to balance my time as a newcomer coming into the industry, I'd spend 80% 80, 80 of my time on networking, 10% of my time on applying, and the other 10% of my time on tweaking my resume for when I do network with that individual. Because what, what you're going to do when you network with individuals is hopefully you're doing it the right way. You're not just going up to someone and saying, hey, I see you work at company so-and-so and you have a role here. Here's my resume. Can you refer me? That's not going to work. What? Um, what? That doesn't work? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, and I've made that mistake. Um, I learned from that mistake. I, I used to do that younger in my career. Another way to work into it is 
maybe follow what they, they, they post, comment on it, interact with them, build that rapport, just like you would in a sales conversation, build that rapport and that engagement with that individual and look at problems that you're looking to solve. Oh, you're hiring for a certain role. That means they have a certain problem that you're looking to solve. Can you solve that problem? If you can't, maybe refer someone else that you know to that role and say, hey, I know a good salesperson that can fill that role. Here you go. And by you being the connector of other people, that builds your network as well. And networking is more about the giving than the taking. If you're taking too much in networking, it's not going to be successful for you. Christoph, can you say that one more time, please? (laughs) I know. It is more about the giving than the taking. I cannot agree with Chris more on all of that. And I've, the same um, thing I've had to go through it myself and in my career history is um, the value of it is huge and does get you in the door on calls versus just applying. And then I've had candidates or mentees that literally have spent, you know, days, months, hours applying to over a hundred some positions all online, right? Because they don't know anyone that can help get them in the door. And then they come to me and I said, let's talk about the power of networking and branding yourself, right? And this is what we're starting to work with schools and colleges on because that's the aspect in a cybersecurity uh, major career curriculum that they don't teach, but that's very, very much important to um, get into the door. And then the minute they start doing that work, giving, networking, building up the rapport and relationships with people, and then ask for that favor as they're giving, um, they get calls and conversations. And it's it's hard with those out online applications. And don't get us started. That might be another podcast episode on the broken uh, system there. I would say the, the, the worst thing to happen to LinkedIn is the easy apply. Um, I'm guessing, say, uh, as a, a former recruiter, if you put out a CISO role and you put easy apply, you're going to get 500 applicants. Um, 300 of them might not qualify for anything within it. And then then you have to go through 200 others of them and see why they potentially might qualify to eventually whittle your way down to four or five. And that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, exactly. I mean, okay, so (laughs) now you tickled me on another part of it, though, is this is there is there is a demographic of the population that may actually qualify and they don't because they're like, oh, there's one line item here I am missing out on. And then you get these what I affectionately call wishful thinkers who are just like spam. I'm going to I'm going to apply to everything and I'm going to fake it till I make it, if you will, just so I can get the interview process, because once they meet me, they'll love me kind of mentality. Right. And okay, so where do you guys fall in this then? Because there is a demographic that will not apply. They're fully qualified, but for whatever reason, either confidence, societal expectations, their own pressures, whatever, they don't. And then how do you encourage them to do it? And then the opposite side, which is, hey, guys, I get you're enthusiastic, but you're not quite a CISO level when you haven't worked more than a year and a half. I I would say that the underrepresented demographics tend to be the one that reply in an underrepresented format for that reason. They, they, they feel like they don't hit all the boxes. Um, unfortunately, they, they, don't, they aren't aware that 
a job listing is like a Christmas wish. And unfortunately, companies will make it a mile long just so that they could potentially have someone that meets 60% of all those and they're at 90% and going, eh, I don't want to apply. Um, I encourage them to be that overconfident person and to apply for it, even though they feel like they're missing that one or two. And then for the, the person that feels like they're overconfident, I would tell them, stop applying, right? Have some conversations, have some real talks with the hiring managers. They might readjust your expectations um, and then go back into it. Because I, yeah. I, I learned when I was, sorry, a younger white male, one of that demographic that over applies, you have that hard conversation with the hiring manager. Hey, uh, you have the ambition, but you don't have the experience. And that um, did affect me. And I learned the hard way. So I kind of tell others, hey, learn from my experience, but this is your situation. And I give them that tough love. Yeah. And, you know, I in a male-dominated industry, similar to IT, I've seen a lot of females who want to take that leap. And I think the confidence is there mostly, but then it's the, yes, but I'm not the, you know, standard demographic. But that being said, you know, that does need to change, right? We need more females in um, security and we should have more at the CISO level. Um, it's time. So hopefully we're in that era where there's more supportive of diversity, um, regardless of gender or other. And we, we, we see the tables turn, you know, I want to, um, something Chris, I've been lucky to get some of your free advice and I can see where you are just an amazing coach. Um, one piece really stood out. So I just want to um, have, I want to call it out here because I think it's really important that we even think about, we're all to some degree in the cybersecurity job selling cybersecurity, right? It's just to a different audience, a different level, whether it's internal, external, the board, et cetera. And for those who are not in security, but we work with, we have to dumb it down, right? So I want to thank you for reintroducing me to the four-letter acronym KISS. What does that stand for for those who don't know or remember? <laughs> because I swear by it now and it truly does help. Uh, keep it simple, silly. I'll just leave that like that. Um, oh, you're but... too nice. You're too nice. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there, there's this, this concept of simplicity and the simpler you can make your communication, your systems, your interactions for users, the better results that you're going to get. And if you overcomplicate things, say, try to make a process too complicated, like I did today, um, in the whole Cyberhuman initiative, we had to find a way around candidates uploading their files. And I had to find a workaround that involved creating a process around my user ID. The problem is, if I left this nonprofit, then this process will get broken. So I've created a complex system that doesn't work. And we can create a simple system that could work, um, but it might not be as nice. So you have to weigh that balance between keeping it simple and keeping it sustainable. Wow, that, yeah, actually, very, very good points right there. 
So as we wrap up, um, Christoph, any parting thoughts or you know, top three things, I guess you would maybe put, put out there for either that person that's you know stuck in the rut, but trying to advance to the next level, breaking in or other? I would say, first of all, network and engage with your network. Your personal brand, your reputation, however you want to look at it, is all based on your interactions with others. And the more that you can interact with others, the better your reputation will be and the more people that will call on you. Um, the second is continuous development, continuous learning, continuous curiosity. I'm always listening to an audiobook, a podcast, reading a book. Um, that continuous development is going to help you in an industry that's ever-changing. Um, there's a new acronym for some service every six months, and you have to figure out, wait, is this really a new service, or is this a blend of three things so that they could get up in the Gardner top quadrant? Um, and then the last thing really is um, find your why. Why are you doing this? Are you doing this for money, or are you doing this for pleasure? And it could be that you're doing it for money, but... Um, if you continue pushing down that route all the time, you might burn yourself out. So kind of find the right why for why you're doing this and do it for the right reasons. Oh, you are just making me cry to my tears here, Christoph. And it's so nice. I've, I've heard so many nice things about you. So to finally actually have this conversation with you and then your final thoughts of, you know, networking, you know, is your brand. It helps you build that credibility. The fact that you must always have continuous development. If you're a kind of person that doesn't like to learn, cybersecurity is probably not your industry or vocation because you have to always keep learning. We're not saying you do it overzealously, but you do have to keep on top of the latest, uh, you know, issues that are out Technology. there, whatever it have you, yeah. right? And of course, find your why. Money ain't everything. You got to have some passion and fire in the belly that gets your, you know what, up in the morning because it ain't going to be pleasurable every day. So you got to work hard. Yeah. If you're not willing to work hard, don't break in. Exactly. You'll, you'll have your, your celebrity vulnerabilities, which will cause you four to six weeks of uh, remediation. But hey, um, yeah. it happens. And if you're doing it for the right reasons, you see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. No, well that's, said. That is so well said. Well, thank you again, Christoph, for being with us today and sharing your story and all the work that you're doing and the great uh, information and advice for others. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Great. Thank you so much, Christoph. And you know what, Leah, I think this wraps up for another great Diary entry over at the CISO Diaries. <laughs>